Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation. Welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman. Please be joined by former Raider great Stanford Route. Stan, how we doing? Oh, man, pretty good. It's been a long day, but, uh, man, it's football season, so it's always the best time of the year, and I'm just so excited and so pumped on so many different levels. Outstanding. We also have a special guest as well on loan from the NFL Network. It's outstanding reporter and studio host Omar Ruiz. Omar, thank you so much for joining us. DA, always a pleasure to be with you and stand here. And, uh, you know, two weeks from now, we'll be talking about actual regular season yep. games. And and like Stan said, you know, it c- couldn't be more thrilling time of year. And I uh, can't wait to kick it all off. Omar, you were at the Raiders training camp early on. What kind of stood out to you back then? Well, I would say the first few days of training camp, um, to me, especially the the day I was there was just how deep they are at the wide receiver position. And I think we've talked all off season, what this uh, potent offense could look like with Josh McDaniels, taking it to a new, new level, Darren Waller, Devonte Adams, Hunter Renfro, all three, arguably the most, uh, you know, talented, prolific, productive at their respective positions uh, in the NFL and, and what they can do um, as a trio but then we're not even talking about, you know, Mac Hollins um, uh, and, and the rest of the crew that, that really stood out um, time after time, rep after rep uh, in, in that day. And, and I would say that the secondary also stood out. You know, we've heard a lot about Nate Hobbs and how he's come along, you know, building off a solid rookie year and how he's challenging Devontae Adams at practice and really showing his development. But then you have a guy like Deron Harmon who had a huge interception in the practice that I was there and what sort of leadership he's provided for a unit that I think we're all focusing on that will tell the story of the season. Cause you know, in, in virtually every other uh, position group on both sides of the ball, a lot of talent there, a lot of reason for optimism, but that when you get the, the production from the secondary that they're hoping to get, you know, I think that'll tell the story of the season. And to sort of see that in that practice, obviously it was early on. I think those were the, the initial impressions that jumped out uh, there in the, uh, the, the early days of training camp. Well, one of the things that's concerned me from the beginning of training camp, and Stan can attest to this, has been that offensive line. Now there's a report from Vinny Bonsignor in the Las Vegas Journal Review. Alex Leatherwood, they took him with the 17th pick overall last year. Now he's reporting all things are on the deck with him. I mean, he could be a starter because of injuries to other O-linemen. He could actually be traded. He could be outright released. Stan, put on your GM hat. What would you do with Leatherwood at this point? Oh man, I would. Uh, I would definitely. You know, um, I, I think to, for me, releasing him would be the last resort. Uh, if I want to go ahead and try to get something for him, go ahead and trade him. If I don't want him on my roster anymore, but to me, I just think they're releasing him this early in his career, unless he's being a bad teammate, he's being a bad professional, showing him late to meetings, not getting along with other teammates, things like that. But I just feel like there's just other options that you can take rather than just simply releasing him just this early in his career, because also, you know, you don't want to have that negative stigma 
that you're not able to draft well, that you're not a good talent evaluator. Now, obviously, this regime, they did not draft Alex Leatherwood, but still, nonetheless, former first-round picks, you don't want to just let them go that early in their career and unless it is blatant, unless it is just painfully obvious, unequivocally, without the shadow of a doubt, he cannot play. Versus, okay, maybe he's not being coached right. Maybe we have him in a different scheme. Maybe he's in a playing a position that he's not the best at, something like that. So I just think that there's so many other options that you can take rather than releasing him. But definitely, uh, I'm right there with you guys. That something needs to be done because it does not appear that he is actually ascending and actually reaching the projections that you would have had with him being a, a former first-round pick out of Alabama. Yeah, if the Raiders cut him, it would cost them $8 million in cap space this year and $4 million next year. I mean, Omar, what do you think you could realistically get for a guy who's right now he looks like a first-round bust? Well, yeah, I, I would agree with Stanford, though. Unless there is something um, broken with his confidence, like he said, unequivocally, where there is no redeeming qualities left about his game and he needs an absolute fresh start. I think you just try to hold on to them. Obviously you're not going to start him at right tackle. Um, you know, maybe he's, you know, a backup guard at that point. You try to just get something um, out of him. Um, but, but there is no personal tie, you know, to, to that regime, to that front office, you know, given, um, you know, his draft position um, just big picture. I just think it's remarkable and this is a this is a testament to Derek Carr and and the leadership in the locker room. I feel because obviously we've had different regimes here in the last two or three years. But you look at you know all the failed draft picks you know from 2019, 2020. So many of those first and second rounders not even on the team anymore. Yep. You, you look at all the different free agents that haven't panned out. The big money contracts that um, they've hardly gotten anything from, and to still be in this position where they're coming off a playoff appearance despite all the turmoil last year and despite question marks going into this season with, you know, a guy like Alex Leatherwood, a first round pick um, to, to be by many considered a favorite in the AFC West, let alone the entire AFC. I think it speaks volumes to the guys that haven't been in there that have laid the foundation for this team. And I think McDaniels is sophisticated enough as a play caller where you know, if it's not going to be Alex Leatherwood, I think we can agree on that at a right tackle. But even if it's somebody that they didn't necessarily need or want to be a starter at this point, they'll be able to scheme around that. But if you can just get something out of Leatherwood, even if it's just depth and something you don't want to admit to for a former first round pick, it's, it's, you know, better than, you know, eating the $8 million in cap space. Unless, like I said, you know, you, you know that his confidence is shot and he cannot be a productive NFL player in that particular locker room. I mean, yeah, guys, like the guy was drafted last year. <laughs> 17th 2021. Yeah, not 2020, not 2019. Last year. And just the simple, the simple thought, just the simple notion of possibly releasing a guy who was just taken last year. Obviously, we see what happened with Rugs, with the situation, obviously, with the car wreck. We see what happened with Damon Arnett. But you're not hearing much about Alex Leatherwood being a bad person being a bad teammate, being a bad citizen of society, things like that. So just to me, so early, it's just been one simple year. Who knows? The light bulb may come on tomorrow. Who yeah. knows? For yeah. all we know. But I just think that I just think that I just think that's premature. 
You know, obviously you draft him in the first round for a reason. He showed some sort of promise while he was at Alabama. So it's not like you just woke up one day and you were kind of hung over and, you know, you had crust in your eyes and you accidentally just, you know, pressed a certain button and drafted Alex Leatherwood when you meant to draft somebody else. So clearly there was some sort of promise. There was something he showed on film while at Alabama for him to be a mid first round pick, not a late first round pick, mid first round pick. So that's why I just think that I just think it's too early to pull the plug on him just as of yet. And also remember in his defense, a lot of people thought it was a major stretch for him to go that high yeah. in the first round. Right. A lot of other teams had him as a second or third rounder that needed some development. Yep. Obviously, he goes to a Raiders team that is counting on a rebuilt offensive line, and he was one of the centerpieces of that. So there was a lot of pressure, a lot of focus on him because of that. But, you know, maybe, like you said, the light bulb comes on. Uh, he he does need that uh, developmental time, you know, that some second and third rounders do before that light bulb comes on and, and, you know, not necessarily throw them away immediately. Um, so, you know, I think there's, you know, some context to all of that, that, you know, obviously I think it's playing out that it was a stretch and he probably wasn't ready to play right away and be that first round pick. And, and most of the NFL's grades on him were probably more accurate than Mike Mayock's were, or even John Gruden's. Uh, you know, whoever was the ultimate decider on, on that uh, analysis. But, uh, you know, it, it's obviously not working in this current form. Um, but yeah, but to, but to throw, throw, the, throw the, the keys away and the hope on him is, uh, you know, I think premature at this point. But, but obviously yeah. you need a different answer at right tackle. Omar, you mentioned some of those <clears throat> deals that John Gruden handed out, handed out and they just simply did not work. I mean, Trent Brown, four years, 66 million. Tyrell Williams, four years, 44 million. LaMarcus Joyner, four years, 42 million. Corey Littleton, three <clears throat> years, 35 million. Carl Nassib, three years, 25 million. Nick Kwiatkowski, three years, 21 million. Jordy Nelson, two years, 14 million. And Kenyon Drake, who they released now, earlier this week, two years, 11 million. Now, I do want to go ahead and push back on something, DA. So okay. when you talk about the bad contracts, yep. what equates a bad contract or what 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 leads one to go ahead and suspect that? And this is why I say this. How many years did Trent Brown play with the Raiders? Two. How many Pro Bowls did he go while he was with the Raiders? You know, I can't remember if he was a Pro Bowler that first year or not. He it might have two. been an alternate. It was two. Both years. It was two. It was two. Oh, so, the second year he only played like four games, I thought. No, but trust me, he went to Pro Bowl twice with the Raiders. <laughs> so now, obviously, he wasn't available. You know, he had the situation with COVID and things like that. Right. But my point is, is that the guy went to the Pro Bowl twice. Let's just say he went once. <laughs> like, it's not like that was just a horrible contract. He just didn't fit in well with John Gruden. He wasn't available as much as that he should have been. So, like, I definitely am well aware of that. So, all I'm basically saying is, when you really think about what equates bad contract to a good signing or bad signing, this is my point. We can go ahead and use the guy that takes the ball from center every down. Well, 2016, great year, MVP candidate. 2021, win four straight games to end the season to make the playoffs. But yet, there's a lot of people within Raider Nation that feel that there's a lot to be desired out of number four's play. Agreed. And he makes 
what, 40 million a year. So all I'm basically saying is that, like, I do think that it's a bit skewed when we're talking about what's a good signing versus a bad signing, because so much of it has so much more to do with maybe more than what the players actually putting out on the field, because you can make the argument to say that Derek Carr is underwhelmed. Derek Carr isn't worth his signing. He isn't worth his salary if you want to look at it through certain metrics. That's but, all. But, I'm if that, but if that's the case, then that underscores again the point that there's been a lot of, you know, contracts that yeah. you know, haven't been lived up to. Yeah, and, it, it, and, exactly. And so all I'm basically saying, Omar, is that like, and this is not directed toward anybody within this within this trio. I'm just simply yeah. saying, just uh, just speaking abroad. Sure. Is that if you think about it, well, then isn't it interesting how we'll talk about Trent Brown, Corey Littleton. We'll talk about all these bad signings, but yet we give the quarterback a pass. Like we don't really say that's a bad signing, even though if we're looking at it, basing it off the same metrics of, okay, well, you know, this guy didn't really prove to be one of the top players at his position while he was there and he was making X amount of money. We could say the same thing about number four. I, I see your point. Yeah, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate. No, advocate. That's all. Well, I want to talk about the quarterback uh, position in just a little bit, but I got to read, uh, keep our sponsors happy. So bear with yeah. me, guys. And Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with the first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and yes, even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting props, and futures. Head to bet online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEED50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right. Dana White, president of USC, said he at one, UFC, beg your pardon, said at one time he had brokered a deal for the Raiders to sign both Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, but at the 11th hour, John Gruden nixed the deal. Stan, I'm going to begin with you. How much validity do you think there is what Dana White is saying? Well, I do know that um, Dana White, if memory serves, Dana White has some pretty strong ties to the city of Boston, correct? I believe that's where he's from. At least so, like, what I've heard. I think he might be from there, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I know he has pretty strong ties uh, things like that. I've seen him at a, bo- a couple of Boston Celtics games, things like that. So, and I say all I say all that to say that because Dana White, obviously the commissioner or the president or the head, the CEO of UFC, he's the head of UFC. Right. Let's just go ahead and call it that. So I can't just sit up here and just say, okay, he's a blithering idiot, doesn't know what he's talking about. But I mean, if he had a deal in place, like is he Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski's agent? Like, how would he have a deal in place? But Drew Rosenhaus didn't or Don Yee didn't. So that's where I kind of like, uh, how did I mean, maybe he knew something we didn't. Cool. cool. But for him to make it seem like he had the deal in place, like, is he their agent now? Like, is there something I don't know? So that's what just kind of makes me, okay. you know what? I'll take that with a grain of salt. And then just the thought that uh, John Gruden nixed the deal. That's where really it makes my eyes just all of a sudden balloon up because why did John Gruden nix the deal? Is there some problem that he has with Tom Brady? Is there a problem Tom Brady had with him? Who knows? I would just chalk that up to to hearsay, DA. 
Yeah, I, I would agree there. I, I do remember, I think it was a couple of years ago now where Tom Brady was at a UFC event in Las Vegas and he was chatting with Mark Davis. And so perhaps Dana White made that introduction. And so for him, he brokered that deal. <laughs> Good point. Place Good point. Where Mark Davis, you know, later told Dana White that, oh, yeah, that Tom Brady, he's awesome. It would be great to have him here. And then Tom Brady maybe said to Dana White, yeah, Mark Davis, he was a cool guy. I could see myself playing for him one day, you know, something like that. Mm. And, but, but like but like you said, it never got to the level of Drew Rosenhaus or Don Yee to, you know, actually put parameters in place. And I think I think the whole thing about Gruden was probably, I think, early on um, in that offseason, because that was the season that they were moving to Las Vegas. Right. And, you know, there was all those rumors and it, and it seemed like every season that John Gruden was there, uh, they had to put out some sort of flames that Derek Carr was not going to be traded yeah. and Derek Carr is uh -huh. our guy. And so that, of course, started those rumors that particular offseason. And, and then John Gruden had to come out publicly and say, I don't know how many times I've had to say it, but Derek Carr is our guy. And shot down those, you know, Tom Brady things. Because I remember even uh, covering the Raiders when they were moving to Las Vegas. Uh, that was actually on the cover of the sports page in the in the Las Vegas Review Journal. And I remember Derek Carr commenting on that. That and he was asked about, you know, what do you think about Tom Brady being on the front page of the Las Vegas paper and and all that. And 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 uh, Derek Carr was just like, you know, it comes with the territory and you know handled it professionally like he typically does and all that scenario. But but all those factors kind of, you know, uh, jog the memory bank there. And yeah, I, I can't see it being as far along as Dana White made it sound to be. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't. All right, let's move on. Alan, the Raiders and Patriots have been conducting joint practices before Friday's final preseason game. I've been reading how much the Raiders have been dominating, especially on offense. Stan, you played eight years in the NFL. How much can you really take away from joint practices? Oh, you can take away a decent amount. It really all just kind of depends on the setup. It depends on the situation. It depends on whether you're going to be playing in that actual preseason game that's actually going to be preceded by those joint practices or something like that. So I think that, that you can take away a good amount, especially if the other team, especially if their starters are playing a really good amount of reps in practice. So you're actually able to go ahead and get some of that game-like speed. Notice I say game-like speed, not actual game speed. Um, and so I think that whenever you're in training camp and you're going against your own guys every single day, it is good to have a changeup because you get to the point to where you already know all of your receivers on your team. You know all their moves. So it's good to go ahead and see a different color jersey, especially if you're somebody who's a starter like a Max Crosby, a Derek Carr, a, a Devontae Adams. And you simply may not be playing much in the preseason, if at all. So that's when you got to be able to go ahead and get your actual game like reps against that opposing team's starter at that position, because that's going to be the coast that you're going to get throughout the whole preseason. Omar. Yeah, I would definitely say that you see a, a pronounced difference in intensity. It's ratcheted up in those joint practices, but at, at the same time, you still take it with a grain of salt because you don't know what each particular team is working on. And I'll use mm -hmm. this example from last year's Raiders Rams joint practices up at thousand Oaks at the, at the Rams facility. Um, Hunter Renfro uh, appeared to make Jalen Ramsey um, look foolish on a particular play and Ramsey gets wide open for a touchdown. Uh, 
and um, and every you know the Raider sideline goes nuts. Somebody had it on a cell phone. It goes viral, and everybody's like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, Hunter Renfro cooked Jalen Ramsey. Oh my gosh! And as it turns out, the Rams were working on a different kind of coverage where Ramsey, you know, is supposed to sit down in the flat or something and stay there, and the safety was supposed to help on you know on the corner on the corner route and, and missed that assignment. And so, so it looked like Ramsey got fooled, but in reality, it was just a busted coverage. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, and so in other words, it was the Rams were trying a new formation, a new coverage scheme and, you know, didn't work well. That's why they do it. Did it in practice. It was, it, mm-hmm. they didn't, they didn't execute it properly. And so it made it look now, there's always two truths, right? Because Hunter Renfro is really good yes, he and is. he can make corners look foolish. But in that particular case, um, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily the thing that that kind of went viral. But but at the same time, Hunter Renfro is a bad dude. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yes, and, and, you know, that that was a, a sign of things to come in the 2021 season. But um, but yeah, so, you know, you see the intensity, you see the talent shine through, but not everything um, like because, you know, I was seeing the same reports, D.A., about the Raiders dominating and, and it could be, you know, the Patriots are trying all these different things that they're not really too comfortable with yet. And so a guy like Devontae Adams, who's at the top of his craft is just going to cook some of these guys if they're just trying out new, you know, coverage schemes or whatever. Um, so I always kind of take it with a grain of salt because of that. Let me ask you guys this. We're at 17 games right now, regular season. We're going to go to 18 at some point. It's just a matter of when. Do you ever see a point where we're going to get rid of the two exhibition games or three exhibition games, and we're just going to go to joint practices, and that's how you're going to get your training camp work done leading up to week one? Do you see that at some point, either one of you? Uh, Omar, I'll let you go first on that <laughs> yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, I do. As soon as they're able to monetize the joint practices, I think, mm-hmm. I think that's, when, that's when they'll let the third preseason game go. They'll add the more lucrative 18th regular season game and the owners from what they're losing in the second preseason home game, they're getting in whatever revenue they get from the joint practices. And then, you know, as soon as they can work that out with the NFLPA or the, in a, in a new CBA, and I don't know what, you know, what the terms might be, but as soon as they figure that out, I would say uh, you're on to that. It, It would go to 18 and two. I don't think they would truly let go of the preseason games. Um, I just think it would be one of those where uh, the only guys that play are guys fighting for the roster and then the actual starters and, and, uh, and star players play in, in those uh, joint practices, which would then be televised. I kind of think about it like um, in the lead up to the draft, if you've noticed, especially the last couple of years with COVID and, and kind of, um, you know, pro days uh, being, you know, a little more elevated because um, because we haven't had as much, you know, college coverage in the spring because schools were shut down or closed. So there's been more televised pro days and that's been amplified on NFL Network. And that's, yeah. you know, something that has developed over the last couple of years. So I can definitely see joint practices then, you know, starting to be televised. Now, I think we have a long way to go before we get to that point, because I know the coaches love the joint practices because it's not televised. And they, and they can show stuff that they don't want to show in preseason games because those are aired across the country and people could start, you know, scheming for them. So they keep that all vanilla, but then they can try actual schematic stuff in those joint practices against an unfamiliar opponent without it being, 
you know, in front of the whole country or the whole world in those cases. So, you know, I, I would imagine just like in all things, like whenever we see a, a franchise get pegged for hard knocks, the coach, you know, pushes back initially, you might have a little pushback, but eventually Jerry Jones gets his way and, <laughs> and those owners that uh, get that added revenue stream. Yeah, uh, I would probably go ahead and say no, but pretty much for the same reason that Omar's alluding to, and just because it's too much money involved, because players get pay, players get paid a flat salary during the preseason, or should I say during training camp? It doesn't matter if you're Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't matter if you're Mr. Irrelevant or the last guy on the roster. I believe it's veterans get, I think, like 1100 or 1200 1300 somewhere in that area a week. And for rookies or the young guys that are that are not in their fourth year or higher, they're getting like 700 or 600 I forget, like something like that. Yes, exactly. So, but the but the beauty of it is that's where the owners really get to get away and steal money because guess what? If you want to go to Levi Stadium out there in San Francisco, if you want to go to Allegiant Stadium uh, in Las Vegas, guess what? Ticket prices are still a a a, a decent amount. Um, you still got to go there and you want to buy something from the concession stand, merchandise, things like that. So the owners get to take all of that money that they get from those preseason games and they don't have to pay nearly as much to the players because it's all a flat rate. So the owners get to get the bulk of that lion's share of that pie for each preseason game and they don't have to give much to the players. So that's why I don't think you'll ever see the NFL preseason completely done away with because once again, it all comes down to money. And I think that, yeah, once they find a way to monetize these joint practices and things like that, then you may see that happening. But to be able to go ahead and have 50,000 or 60,000 or 40,000 at a joint practice, that's going to be very difficult unless it's at the actual stadium where games are played. So yeah. I think that um, it, it just comes down to money, and I don't think you'll pretty much ever see them doing away with the preseason because, once again, the owners, they make too much money from those games. Yep. Stan, let me ask you this. Do you feel like there is a calmness to the Raiders uh, like we haven't seen before? I mean, you go back to 2018, Gruden comes back. He trades Khalil Mack right before the start of the season. In 2019, the Antonio Brown saga. And then last year, unlike anything we'd ever seen before with Gruden, Ruggs, and Arnett. And I mean, I'm sure you were Captain uh, Turmoil the whole time that you played for the Raiders in your seven seasons with them. Do you recall the Raiders organization being this calm and seems like it has a plan and it's in control? I probably would say that, uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a year where it's been this calm, but also has the ability or should I say the talent to really be able to go ahead and do some some really great things within the AFC or should I say the AFC West. There were years where things were kind of calm within uh, the locker room, just the surrounding orbit from the Oakland Raiders, but we also weren't really that good. We didn't have the team in place from a talent standpoint to actually contend for the AFC West or anything like that. But I'd say for right now, having the calmness, what you're talking about, but also having a talented team that can go out there and really string some wins together and possibly win this AFC West, depending on how everything plays out. I probably would say this is the first time in a long time where you've had that combination to go ahead and put both together so you can be successful. Omar, you've been covering this yeah, team I'd for say, a long I'd time as it, well. Yeah, it's because of, Stanford mentioned the, the talent, the confidence is there. And, and when you have the confidence that the Raiders do right now, you can be calm because you are secure in who they are, how loaded they potentially can be. 
And so I think they're working right now to dial it down in, in terms of the hype and everything that's surrounding them right now, because yeah, I think they agreed. do have a loaded roster. And I think part of the calmness that you're alluding to DA is because they had that turmoil season last year that they had everything under the sun thrown at them. And yet they mm -hmm. still made the playoffs. Yeah, still so I think there, there's a feeling there that no matter what happens to us, big injury, controversy off the field, we can handle it. This mm -hmm. locker room is strong enough to handle it. And we're more talented this year with Devontae yeah. Adams, Chandler Jones, and the rest of the crew. So there's that. And I thought it was interesting. You mentioned that I was at training camp, you know, the first few days, it was right after pretty much the entire league started training camp at that point. And if you remember the first four days of Raiders training camp, they were the only team in camp with, right with the entire roster. There was a few rookie uh, training camps going on, but, but no entire roster had, had gotten there to that point. So every little thing coming out of Raider camp was a huge national story, whether it was Devontae Adams comparing Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers oh, and, yeah. and whatever other kind of nonsense was that. And so by the time I got there in day like four, five, six, whatever it was, you got a sense that Josh McDaniels was tired of that, tired <laughs> of the national spotlight, tired of the focus, especially knowing where he comes from, where they want to tow the company line. And now when I see interviews, especially nationally with the Raiders and people are asking him about how much talent they have and the expectations and everything, they're like, well, we still just got to put the work in and, yeah. and, you know, we haven't achieved anything yet. And they're, they're kind of, you know, making sure that, they, they kind of, you know, put the cart before the horse or don't put the cart before the horse and, um, and, and are, are deliberate about all the work that they still have to do. And I think that's a, that in and of itself is a level of maturity uh, in this organization, in that locker room that speaks volume. So, um, you know, they're I would imagine in the locker room, they're very hyped. They're very confident. They're very, uh, you know, poised, um, but uh, but certainly not letting the outside uh, noise influence what's going on there but uh but calmness is a good word to describe it dennis all right last question for you omar you got 60 seconds i'm going to give you over under win total for the raiders this year and are they a playoff team Ooh, uh, they're <laughs> playoff team i'm going to say 11 wins so they're going to improve by one game i think they're better than a one game improvement from last year but i think the division is tougher and yeah. they're going to beat each other up um, relentlessly, but I think, you know, that, you know, we've seen, we see it every year. You, you've seen it in, with Buffalo the last few years, you kind of got to get to the playoffs. You got to lose, you got to experience that you got to come back and in order to take those next steps. And I think the Raiders have done that now, um, you know, having experienced what they did last year was like three seasons worth of controversy and still, like we said, made the playoffs. And I think they'll, they'll take that next step this year. They're a playoff team. I think they'll win a game. Uh, this year beyond that, who knows, but I think they are um, a legit contender. And, and if things bounce their way, then yeah, who knows if we're talking about an appearance in Arizona in February. Stan, you enjoy uh, alumni weekend uh, this weekend. Uh, 300 guests. It sounds like it's going to be there. I hope you have a wonderful time. Oh, yeah. hey, Dennis, let me get one yes, more comment out absolutely. here. Absolutely. You know, you know, I got, you I got, you got 90 seconds. I'm go. Yeah, you, you know, you know, I grew up a Raider fan. Yes. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty objective nowadays, but, you know, I still all my family's Raider fans. And we've talked about this before off camera, how every single year 
Raider fans think that they're going to the Super oh, Bowl. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, <laughs> Stan, and you're so smiling because you know like, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it warms my heart <laughs> that for the first time in like 20 years, that that hope and optimism is actually justified yeah. uh-huh. with it's the genuine. roster and talent that they have on the team nowadays. So I'm excited for Raider Nation uh, this season, and, uh, and, and, and they ought to be, uh, fans ought to be, you know, equally optimistic about, about their team this season. Good stuff. Omar, thanks so much for joining us. Greatly appreciate it. All right, Raider Nation, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BetOnline. For my partner, Stanford Route, our guest, Omar Ruiz, I'm Dennis Sackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.